Welcome to Fiery Discourse, your podcast and media featuring dragonesses, female dinosaurs, and other similar swords and scalies. I'm your host, Lamilanon, and with me are my co-hosts, Angron, Lucky Eevee, Matt Machine, Striker, and Jordan. Today is our 40th episode, and we're discussing 2014's Tom and Jerry, The Lost Dragon. So, let's get things started. So, everyone pretty much knows Tom and Jerry, the classic, you know, cat and mouse duo who inspired, yep. you know, a dozen other similar cartoons with, you know, small pests, annoying, you know, big uh, predatory creatures and that. Yeah, this my movie... family, cur- yeah, my family currently owns a box set of, like, some of the early seasons, as in, like, the early seasons, and even has a little picture uh, from one of the first episodes, which, yes. Nice, nice. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, uh... Basically, they continued doing it for years with some success, some not. This movie comes in the era of Tom and Jerry, where they mostly did, and apparently still do, direct-to-video movies. Some of them are decent, others are terrible. The one that most people are familiar with, because it became a meme a couple of years ago, was uh, Tom and Jerry and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which (laughs) was a desperate attempt for Warner Bros. to keep the rights to the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory franchise, which failed miserably as it went to Netflix, (laughs) hence the prequel. And sadly, this did not lead to Tom and Jerry crossing over with other Warner Brother movies. We could have had Tom and Jerry in Casablanca, Tom and Jerry in All Quiet on the Western Front, Tom and Jerry in Goodfellas. That would have been really funny. Tom and Jerry in Godzilla, maybe? uh, Yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers distributed them, too. (laughs) Tom Tom and Jerry meets Batman. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't done that one, actually. I'm actually... I just like they haven't done that one yet. Tom and Jerry and and the Green Lantern. That would be interesting. That would legit be interesting. But yeah. (laughs) I'd feel like they do Sewer Pets, though. Yeah, yeah. Probably. It it would work. It would work. But yeah, getting back to this one, Tom and Jerry and the Lost Dragon. uh, (laughs) This movie is a pretty fun one, in my opinion, and is probably one of the better ones. Now, the animation of this movie, right off the bat, it's. Pretty much what you expect for a direct-to-video effort. This is not, sadly, Bartok the Magnificent level animation quality, although it does share similarities with that movie. More on that later. One thing that slightly bothers me about this movie, I don't know if it's something with the outlines of the characters or whatnot. They seem to be just placed on top of the background, rather than being actually within the movie itself. Kind of, yeah. I I noticed that as well. Yeah, it feels like they're, they're just like cells on a on like a sheet of paper they don't hey, feel like, like it real feel... animation <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, it doesn't feel like i say like like they're actually part of the world that they exist in mm. but that that is one thing that is kind of a shame aside from like tom and jerry like for example like the elf characters and Griselda and athena they just seem so out of place especially in this sequence and of course the movie begins with an elderly wizard who is voiced by the great jim cummings who has done pretty much every single animated project for the past, like, 30 years or so, 30, 40 years, and he's fantastic. Yep. Yeah. He he, uh, banishes Drizelda the Witch for using uh, dark magic on the kingdom. The kingdom is populated by these, like, little blue elvish people, and between their skin color and, like, the weird mushroom houses, I was reminded very much of the Smurfs, so I wonder if they were taking something as well. I hear... 
Also, I hear this, and I think Zadia, which similar <laughs> premise, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, Griselda has a very uh, unique design. Uh, the greens, her uh, green skin, it does remind me of Maleficent in particular. The uh, red dress actually is a really good contrast to it, and the black hair with the white stripe in it. A little detail like that just gives a character that otherwise would be like a stark archetype. Really just a lot of character. Indeed. They also have a neat yeah. way of animating her in that basically every pose, every frame, everything of her is a smear frame. Yeah, and we'll get to see more yeah. about that later and things she does too, which is which is in part one of the reasons why she is very reminiscent of Ludmilla. But <laughs> she's a... But she's uh, accompanied by uh, four cats, the smallest of which is a kitten version of Tom, who looks kind of cute, let's be real. But also, the joke with uh, one of the elf women uh, complaining about Griselda insulting her hat, and then the wizard just awkwardly puts that into the list of crimes is a pretty funny joke. But now we get to. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, this movie is, it's not perfect. It's probably not even, you know, good, good, but it has good moments. It has fun moments and it has good moments. But yeah. also, now we get to something that's interesting. Driselda is voiced by Vicky Lewis. He's probably best known for being Deb in Finding Nemo, the fish who thought the reflection was her sister. She oh. also was in Godzilla 1998 as Elsie, the uh, archaeologist who briefly works with Nick before he's kicked off the project. That means okay. that this actress has appeared in two podcast episodes in a row. The odds yeah. of that must be like a million to one that that happened. And that's yeah. of the main villain and dragon is in this movie, which Man, we'll, again, we'll get to later. Back for like what happened in uh, 98 or something. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just, Gosh, yeah. I hate it strong with this one. <laughs> also, yeah. keeping with the Godzilla 98, she seems just as horny in that as she is in this. Very true. Very true. And again, yeah. we will get to more of that. Because believe me, they they go all out with this. There is a particular moment later on that actually made my jaw drop a little bit. Mm. But it turns oh, out that uh, same, uh, like, I'm actually surprised they allowed this in a kids movie. Yeah, yeah. More on but that later. Out, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, 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 more on that later. Yep. So the wizard basically taught Trizelda how to use her powers, but of course she used them for evil. And Trizelda's niece Athena is allowed to stay in the kingdom. Griselda basically uh, pulls out a vial and threatens to use it on the villagers, but the wizard zaps her, causing her to drop the vial. It turns the other three cats into, like, ogre beings. They're, they're not quite ogres, but they're close enough. Griselda is then flung off to the horizon with them, and then we get to hear the village elder announce that the harvest festival begins. And the village elder, the reason I bring this up, is because the village elder is voiced by Wayne Knight, best known as Newman from Seinfeld, or Nedry from Jurassic Park, or Al from Al's Toy Barn and Toy Story 2. Basically, he's a very nice. familiar actor. You know you know him mm. if you hear his voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I already hear very him. familiar. I'm just like, yes. yeah. And also, uh, then one of the elves turns out, she questions Athena why she should stay in the kingdom, and she wonders if she'll turn out just as evil as Griselda. But Athena tries to dissuade her otherwise because it's revealed she saved the mouse, who turns out, of course, to be Jerry, from one of Griselda's spells. And it's here where the slapstick begins. Uh, Tom sticks his tongue out at Jerry, and Jerry snaps it back like a, you know, window pane or whatever. And we then get the opening credits, which begin with, like, the classic Tom and Jerry logo. And then it cuts to a series of medieval-style settings in that, 
which mm. has this big traumatic music with the zoom-ins and that, and it cuts again for like the classic, you know, era Tom and Jerry logo to that. It pretty much is a lot of tonal whiplash kind of thing. Yeah, it's like that one. Yeah, it's like cutting from like the angry mob song in My Little Pony Gen 5 movie and just ultimately going to like a uh, modern day perfume ad starring uh, Pip. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's really, like I say, it is jarring just to see like, you know, oh, you know, we're going to see classic cartoon slapstick and oh, no, we're going to see this, you know, uh, medieval, you know, fantasy movie. And more on my thoughts on that in a little bit. But mm. we then uh, cut to many years later as Athena runs a home for abandoned injured animals and adult. Yep. Adult Athena. She has a nice design as well. There's something about the way mm. she's drawn that is pretty appealing. You know, it's not like a direct copy of Griselda. It takes uh, aspects of her while also kind of uh, expanding on them. Athena's voice set. Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. I just uh, think it was no. a stupid joke. No, go ahead. Uh, tell, yeah. tell it. It's all good. No, 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 no. no. It's all good. It's all good. All right, all right, okay. all, right, about that. all right. So Athena's voice actress is, believe it or not, the same woman who played, or at least did the stunt work for Samara in the movie The Ring. Which I, <laughs> when I looked that up, I was shocked. Dang. Like, okay, I did not expect like a a woman who played one of these scariest horror movie, you know, villains out there to also a do a Korean horror girl yeah. for that matter. No, no, no. This is the American remake. She was in the Darn. remake version, not the Korean version. Oh yeah, it's right. the original remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also the fact mm. that it actually happened is it's something else. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Athena then goes into the village to get some donations in the shelter, and she leaves uh, Tom and Jerry in charge. It's oh boy, the dog. Yeah, they're accompanied by a warthog that honestly looks a little too similar to Pumbaa for my liking, you know? <laughs> it's like they literally said, take this character, but make it blue. And that's all the character design they did. It's like, let's take Pumbaa, paint him blue, that's it. We have a new character. He and has a different the, character, for the uh, most part. Yeah. yeah, she also has a little crow named Max, who is a much nicer crow than Diablo from Sleeping Beauty, at least. Yeah. yeah, the warthog continuously wants to get out as Tom and Jerry try to keep it inside. But again, this only causes it to rampage even more so. Eventually, uh, the three of them bur are bursted out of the door and they head towards the village. Athena, she then heads into town. Some of the elves mock her, others, while the shopkeeper pretty much help her out. It is interesting mm -hmm. how they do the plot line of, you know, with the uh, distrust in that because of her, you know, heritage and whatnot with her mm -hmm. aunt being the... Uh, being, of course, Griselda and that, someone who caused so much trouble, they're suspicious of her as well. It's a decent moral, but the way they especially uh, accompany it later on, it accomplishes it later on, sorry, uh, it does not really work, and I'll get more to that in a little while. It turns out that some of her animals ended up ruining the festival the previous year. Um, a, yep, a donkey ends up running haywire and nearly knocks down the maypole before Athena calms it down. And the female elf with the hat she uh, from earlier, she's yeah. distrustful of Athena because of, again, her connection to Griselda. And just as, you know, the village seems to be getting, you know, uh, basically accustomed to her ways, the warthog runs into the village with uh, Tom and Jerry riding the desk that they tied to its tail, and they're flung off. They land on the female elf. The warthog and the desk um, smashed the maypole, which knocks it down and creates, like, a huge mess. We then get probably the moment that, at least for me, really just kind of 
is what held this movie back. Athena returns home and she's sad about not being accepted. She then breaks out into a song about wanting to find somewhere that she can belong. And I'm sorry, I remember none of this song. Not the lyrics, not the tune, nothing. It was like in one, it was like television static. You might as well replace it with that because it is so generic. You know, it is just like, you know, you honestly could fast forward it if not for the, uh, you know, Tom and Jerry slapstick in that. Which again doesn't really fit with this uh, with this movie in general, and now we're finally getting to the point where I can talk about that. Is that this movie? It feels like they had somebody had a script for an original movie idea. They presented it to Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers was like, "Yeah, this is a good script, but can you put Tom and Jerry in it? Because we we <laughs> need another Tom and Jerry movie." And oh, the script writer was like, "Uh, okay, sure, we can okay. put Tom and Jerry in." But again, they're not really the focus of this movie. They're not really even like, you know, the they're the protagonist. That's, you know, Athena. And really their antics feel somehow shoehorned in. Like the slapstick mm. is here. All like the, you know, you know, Tom and Jerry as slapstick is here. But I don't know. It feels forced compared to, again, maybe... Maybe it, their hearts weren't in it or something like that, but a lot of this, it just doesn't feel like they're trying, at least with this part. Later on, it gets a little bit better, but for this, with this song, it feels like they're on autopilot with the stuff like this. There's a, there's a yeah, little I nice touch where uh, Tom gets his hand bit by a piranha, and it's a brief snippet of the iconic scream. That That's cute, but aside from that, it really just it doesn't make any impression. And between that and the generic song... It's like the uh, Tom and Jerry 1993 movie all over again, where you had like clearly somebody trying to make a different movie and also having to make something with Tom and Jerry in it at the same time, and you can't really juggle both. A lot of this movie felt like it was a bunch of executives designed by committeeing what they thought a streamlined version of a Disney film would be. Exactly, exactly. This felt mm-hmm. like it would be something from the Disney Renaissance, a song that the heroine would sing in that. That you are exactly right with that. It, it felt most of this movie was kind of hearted at times. Mm. Like, oh, definitely, it, definitely. They weren't even trying. It felt like a lot of things were forced after a while. Sometimes, yes. But there is something that helped redeem this movie. And we will later, but yep, of course, of course, we definitely, definitely will get to it. But yeah, uh, after this, uh, the song ends with Tom being chased by a crocodile, which causes the bridge that Athena was on to collapse and to fall into the mud. And then this movie fades to black, which I just realized, like, oh, okay, that's for the TV broadcast, so they could be like, insert commercial here, you know? Mm. It's like, yeah, why would you do that? You know, I. I'm sorry. On some levels, I get it, but on other levels, it's like, okay, yeah, you just want to get this over as soon as possible. Which this movie without credits is about like 50 minutes, which is really, really, you know, for something that uh, sells on being a feature length movie, you really kind of got to stretch that definition of feature length. Yep. But yeah, uh, the movie then cuts to the uh, woods where we get to see the tree of cats that work with Griselda are headed into a cavern. The cats are cats again, and they're not ogre monsters. They're not really that funny, in my opinion. I get what they're trying to do, 
kind of like, I guess, uh, to make another comparison with Sleeping Beauty, they're kind of like Maleficent's goons, but they just yeah. don't work because there's something about them where, again, maybe because this whole movie has, is too short to actually give them a little more time to have comedic uh, development in that, but it just feels, again, like, okay, we need uh, three wisecracking uh, henchmen. Okay, go. Yeah. And yeah. Except make them evil and not as charming as those gargoyles Disney did. Yeah, yeah, that too, yeah. that too. Yep, I would definitely prefer the gargoyles over them, even Hugo. But yeah, the uh, cats then find themselves amongst a pile of riches and gold before they find a pearl that Griselda wants. And this entire sequence, and it, maybe it was intentional because WB was working on it at the time, it definitely reminds me of uh, Desolation of Smaug with going mm. into, a, you know, the dragon's lair, having to find a small, white, you know, uh, precious gem in that. I w- it probably wasn't unintentional, but I definitely could see it uh, happening. We then yeah. get a, uh, a brief glimpse of our first dragoness of the movie as she, traces, as she basically chases the thieves out. The pearl falls out of the cat's satchel and it floats downstream. The movie then uh, cuts to Athena and Jerry washing the animals and, uh, you know, a little bit of cute uh, things, how they do it in that. Uh, Jerry attempts to wake up Tom, but Tom attacks him, leaning to more slapstick. And again, it still isn't working for me. It feels like it's like, you know, we've seen this before, you know, like we've, there's nothing that this movie does that you can't just put an original short on and enjoy if you want to see Tom and Jerry content. I'm not saying this movie is bad. It's not a bad animated movie, but as a mm-hmm. Tom and Jerry movie, it definitely is not what you would expect. And I haven't seen all of them, so I can't say, but I've heard that's pretty similar for a lot of it. But yeah, and after some record, more... It took like, yeah. us 15 minutes to get to the first Tom and Jerry slapstick in a Tom and Jerry movie. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You are exactly right there. And that that is something that that should be like minute one, you know, you should yeah. not have to wait like, you know, and that's why, again, I reiterate the the idea that this movie was intended as an original animated movie and they had to put Tom and Jerry in it to get it funded. But yeah, uh, mm. the two then notice the uh, pearl on the lily pad. The movie then uh, cuts back to Griselda's lair and the cast present the treasure, but Griselda only wants the pearl. The cats don't have it, and Griselda is furious. And it's here we find out that the pearl is actually a dragon's egg, which, okay, now you're stealing from the SpongeBob episode with Clamu the oyster. Let's mm, throw mm, peanuts mm. at him and see how he likes it. <laughs> I get what I deserve. <laughs> I get what nice. I deserve. <laughs> I've uh, not yeah. seen that, but okay. Yeah, but then uh, Griselda does do something interesting. Uh, well, not her does something interesting. Something interesting happens. She turns the cats into cat-bat hybrids that actually look pretty cool. In all honesty, you know mm. they, they are cool designs. They, they're better than the usual than the other cat designs, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I will admit they whoever animated this or designed it, they had fun with those guys. Indeed. So yeah, Athena then basically gets tries to get Tom to sit on the egg. While she finds out what egg it is, and this this happens really fast. Like she finds out what it is like right away, which you think they do like an entire uh, montage, but they just kind of gloss over that. I mean, she the, uh, is dragon... pretty studious, so I yep. don't completely put it past her to do yep. something like that. Yep, more slapstick uh, with Jerry sticking Tom's tail in the fire, and 
The dragon's egg then starts to hatch, which leaves two little feet sticking around as it runs all over the place. Then the dragon hatches, and he imprints on Tom, thinking that he's its mother in, like, a, you know, classic cartoon scenario in that. The dragon, uh, honestly, the baby dragon, uh, his name is Puffy, by the way, named by Athena. It's actually uh, kind of cute. They, they did a, a decent enough job, I feel. At yeah, they, they a... knew what the focus was going to be. And, yeah. okay, also, as for the imprinting thing for, for cartoons, yeah. uh, honestly, there's a bit of science behind that. As oh, some animals from the egg will, Im- will uh, actually imprint on the first thing they see. As I such. Yeah, as such, uh, Puffy imprinting on Tom as he's the first thing he sees, not completely out of left field. Just saying. Yeah. Wow, I, I do not know that. Wow. But yeah, uh, Athena then goes to the wizard to try and find out more about it, and we get to see uh, the dragon from earlier, which turns out, of course, to be Puffy's mother, is trying to yep. find her child. Her design is pretty decent. Um it's somewhat standard for, you know, a medieval-type dragon, but there are some elements I like, such as, you know, her size being so huge, she causes earthquakes, you know, when she walks, and some of the facial expressions on her, they, they did a decent job. You know, the other dragoness in this movie, they had a lot more fun designing, and we'll get to her in a little while, but we I have to admit that she, in particular, Puffy's mother, as we'll call her for, like, the dragoness scale ranking, she's an alright dragoness, you know, she has, yep. she has her moments. If she had some more screen time, that would be nice, but that I, probably wasn't about to happen regardless. I We do feel sorry for her a little later. We'll get oh, no, to we, we do. do. You definitely do, especially with what happens. Yeah. Absolutely. In the climax of the movie, you definitely, definitely do. But yeah, the next morning, uh, Tom and Jerry basically have to watch over Puffy while Athena goes out to see the wizard. Now, a slapstick with Puffy and the other animals that Athena has with Tom and Jerry is somewhat better, as I feel like this point, it's a little more inventive. Like, they're actually trying to say, okay, they have a dragon with them. Now, what can we do with this? And what can we do with that? You know? It's like, at this point, it's like, now they can find different angles of which to take it, rather than just doing the uh, same bits that they did in, like, the 1940s and 50s. Yeah. But yeah. Puffy then uh, ends up sneaking out and running towards the village with Tom and Jerry trying to stop them for causing too much havoc. And like I say, uh, Puffy is really adorable, especially in this sequence. He, uh, they try to eat the flower off the uh, aforementioned female uh, elf's hat, but it ends up sneezing and setting on fire, which, again, decent slapstick. Decent, decent enough slapstick. Tom and Jerry try to put the fire out, but they fail until Jerry hits her over the head with a mallet repeatedly. And, of course, Jerry, being the little bastard that he is, he puts the mallet in Tom's paws, and Tom gets beaten up. But, yeah, like like I say, even like this... uh, I'm pretty darn sure Puffy is supposed to be this movie's stand-in for Tuffy. I Mm. did not think about that. Wait, repeat that one more time? Uh, The little gray mouse uh, Tuffy. Yeah, I remember Tuffy. Tuffy, Yeah, I remember. Wow. I did not know that. If that was intentional, that that, that was actually kind of smart. I'm going to be honest that that yeah. is actually pretty clever. A clever way of getting uh, a classic character in there while not being a classic character. I oh, give him credit. Wait, I give him credit. What did they do with Tuffy? 
that Puffy the uh, baby dragon is supposed to be the baby mouse from Tom and Jerry. It's it's an analogy. Oh, I see. All right. It, that makes sense. It feels like that, and the voice is done similarly, so I'm calling it that while not having any confirmation of it. Yeah. No, I definitely can see that. Wow, Bob, that, that is something that... Very, very good point there. But yeah, mm -hmm. the wizard... Uh, basically warns Athena that if the elves knew that she had a dragon, she would be banished. The wizard then tells her to have return Puffy to the wild and that he can't protect her anymore. Athena then instead, uh, she decides to have Puffy brought back to her house. Tom, as it turns out, is on the side of the wizard and wants to take Puffy back to the wild as well. But Jerry wants to, you know, follow Athena's wishes to keep Puffy, which leads to them fighting yet again with more slapstick in that. Tom then brings Tuffy to the woods and tries to abandon them. And then yeah. the two get into another fight when uh, Jerry frees Puffy. And again, the slapstick here, once more, it just feels half-baked. And mm. you know, I don't want to be like a broken record in that, but yeah. you know, with the slapstick being such an integral part of the Tom and Jerry franchise, I feel like it's something that you have to keep commenting on because it's the main reason why they exist, you know? It really, without it, I mean, what do you have? You have, like, the 1993 movie, you know? And the less said about that one, the better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I will yeah. say, though, the them ultimately, uh, tr them ultimately protecting Puffy from, uh, the, from, uh, the little, uh, cat bats and whatnot. Oh, that's it's great. It's definitely that, that a nice a sentiment. Sequence. That is a good sequence. And the cat bats then basically tease Tom that they were <laughs> Auntie's favorites, and they try to take Puffy away, and... I like to see, I like to see this part I like, that Tom and Jerry team up to fight the, um, you know, Griselda's hench cats with the usual slapstick in that, but the fact that we actually get to see them working together, that, again, is another way that they took something and they gave it a little enough tweak to where it's interesting. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. I haven't seen that before. That's pretty fun, you know? Yep. I feel like if they did more stuff like that, and less like trying to repeat the classics. This movie would have been a lot better off for it, at least as a Tom and Jerry mm. movie. But then uh, Puffy is revealed to be able to fly and breathe fire as it gets away from the uh, cat bats. Jerry then uh, tricks the trio into going into some brambles while him, Tom, and Puffy hop onto a cart heading back into town. And it's here where we get the moment that really, I think, shows that this movie had to cut some costs somewhere. The three cats talk to each other, but the entire shot for like 30 seconds is literally a still frame of the brambles. Nothing moves. It is literally like a screenshot of it, and they hold on that for so long while the three cats have a conversation. You can't see them. You can't even see like like the clouds move overhead in that. It really shows like you really cut corners with that scene alone, you know? Uh, Just keeping it on a still the shot. Barbera staple. Yeah, yeah. So it's Although not. Tommy, no, it's not always that bad when it no, comes. No, no, it's this. not. It's this is this is way this is light years be animated better than some of their stuff from the seventies. And that those things are woof. I mean, they are. They definitely do not have some good ones. And we'll be talking about a Hanna Barbera property soon on this podcast. So mm. you'll hear more about our thoughts for that one. But getting back to this movie, uh, Athena then returns home with Puffy's cage, only to find that him, Tom, and Jerry aren't there. She then heads to the festival where the wizard is there, and I guess uh, the wizard is being like Gandalf in this in this scenario. He's setting up fireworks like Gandalf did in the Shire. 
Unfortunately, uh. we do not get to see a giant dragon firework. But we do get a giant dragoness, so pretty good trade-off right there. She asks, uh, yeah, she asks Tom and Jerry where uh, are to the wizard, but he doesn't know. He then warns her about uh, what happened with Puffy and that. We then get to see a uh, bolt of lightning as Drizelda appears within a statue, taunting the wizard before becoming herself. And now this mm. is the part where I literally was floored. I had to pause the movie, like like close my jaw, rewind it, and rewatch it to make sure I wasn't dreaming this. She basically flaunts her body into... Uh, Drizelda has a very, like, hourglass uh, body figure. She flaunts into the camera, and she actually pulls down, like, the top of her dress and exposes her breasts for a couple of frames. I actually... I had to stop and, and stare, at my, I'd stare at my screen for a second before rewinding it and making sure that yeah, actually right. happened in the movie. In a he Tom and Jerry legit. kids movie, uh, a directed <laughs> video movie, they got yeah. away with that. Uh, As a 100% temptress right oh, there. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yes, yeah, that happened in another kids movie, yeah. um, Don Quixote. Oh, oh yeah. Boy. Oh, God. I know that movie. That movie, of course, you know, I'm from Spain. That movie came out in, like, 2005 over here. It was marketed everywhere, and it was an attempt to do the Shrek formula with Don Quixote, but there's only one problem. If you've read Don Quixote, it's already a spoof. You're parodying yeah. something that's already a parody. How can you do, like, a double spoof of something? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, getting back to this one, Drizelda then uh, tries to convince Athena to tell her where the baby dragon is, while also warning her that Puffy's mother is looking. She then uses her magic to make a, a snake out of smoke, but the wizard wards it off with his magic. And I have to admit, the smoke snake uh, spell, I guess, alliteration right there, but the I think that that is probably one of the better animated parts of the movie. It looks decent enough a if it's somewhat cg i cannot tell it it looks pretty good and mm. yeah it seems like they put a lot of care into that and something else which we will get to in a little bit but yeah the snake uh, steals puffy away she gives it to Drizelda. she then uses a potion to bring the uh cat to sleep and she gets away with the help of her cat bats the village then basically decides to kick athena out which of course they would and she decides, basically, she doesn't mm. care, and she's going to say Puffy in that. Now we get to the part of the movie that definitely is what reminded me of Bartok the Magnificent. Griselda arrives back to her lair and chains up Puffy and then tells her what she needs. She does this in a song where she tells him that, she, basically, she needs his heat in order to powder up her amulet, which, okay, on let's do a you know comparison of you know women who turn to dragonesses with songs. I feel like real Ludmilla is a little better, not just as a song, but because Ludmilla actually transforms during the entire song. But I Need Some Heat still is a pretty good jazz number, and we do get some uh, pretty good animation in the sequence. You can tell that it was this part, and basically this entire you know last third of the movie, where the animation really kicks into gear about it being uh, into actually caring about their craft. But it is, like I say, a nice little jazz number. The cat trio accompany her, and they've been transformed back into actual cats off-screen. She also flaunts her body throughout the song, much like Ludmilla. After the song ends, uh, or seemingly ends, Griselda tries to get Puffy to breathe fire to no avail. 
I like her final final plan is to grind up Pepper to make the dragon breathe fire, which again, cute little cartoon gag. After yeah. Puppy does it, and she basically uh, absorbs the flame in the amulet. She finally finishes the song and transforms into a complete dragoness for the last few lines. The way that they actually have her slowly change from her normal form into a dragoness one is good. It's done with a kind of semi-morph effect, which, again, it's not like the uh, you know slower Ludmilla-esque transformation, but yeah. for this, it still works out pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty uh, interesting. Like, yeah. the fact that she not only obtains it, but what she does to the dragon is just yeah. woof. Yeah, yeah, we will get mm -hmm. that shortly. Uh, mm. There's another nice touch with the uh, volcano she lives in erupts now that she's a dragoness and that. And of course, Drisilda is able to speak in her dragoness form, which always a big plus in my book. That's always like, you know, you have someone turn into a dragon and they can speak, you know, that gives you a few extra points on my score. But yeah, yep. Athena, Tom oh, and Jerry. Here. Yeah, she, they then ride towards uh, Drisilda's lair and it's here we finally get a really good look at Puffy's mother. And I like that she has a sleek design compared to Griselda's uh, more, shall we say, rotund form, which we'll get to when we see more of her, yeah. as well as her more feral appearance compared to the more anthropomorphic look that Griselda has. But yeah, Puffy's mother then uh, sets the hay cart and nearly Tom on fire, where they have to jump onto the horse for safety, she then basically scares away the horse before Athena tells her about Drizelda taking her child. We then get to the uh, back to the uh, elf village where the wizard is planning on leaving before uh, he tells them basically about why they didn't trust Athena. We then get to see Drizelda arrive in the village and it's here where we get to see her dragoness uh, form, which really is a very unique one, especially... Again, for a directive video movie like this, it had a lot of uh, cost-cutting uh, techniques and, you know, pretty mediocre parts in the early parts. I feel like this is where all of the uh, budget, or at least the care, went to. I love the little touches. I love that the fact that the scales are the same color as her robe, and one little detail that is something that you, they did not have to do. And I am so shocked they did this, and it's like something where that's where they put the care into. She has two differently colored horns. She has one mm. black one and one white one because of the white stripe in her black hair. The fact that somebody actually sat down and actually took the time to, imp to implement that part of her design into her dragonist form, you know, I, I got to give him points for that too, you know? Her voice has a slight echo in her dragonist form, which, of course, it does. That's uh, pretty much typical with it. Griselda then comes bearing a gift, which turns out uh, Puffy has been turned into stone. Uh, Griselda then basically threatens to destroy the entire village. And I do like this little gag that is pretty funny. The wizard tries to stop her with a big Gandalf-esque, you shall not pass moment. But she just flicks his staff away like an annoyance. And we then get some slapstick with him as well. She sets him on fire, crushes him into like a, a you know, like a flattened form. And then, of course, she turns to eat him. And the fact that they actually give slapstick to a character like the wizard, I give them credit for that, too. The fact that they, at this moment, it's like, it feels like now they're trying to incorporate the Tom and Jerry aspect with the medieval fantasy aspect. Whereas before, it felt like two different movies. I feel like for the climax, they're starting to mix it together a little bit better. 
If they had this tone throughout the rest of the movie, it probably would have mm. been way better. But as it is, I have to admit that the climax is the best part of the movie. Hell yeah. It yeah. Uh, it really ramps up the stakes, especially yeah. with what happens mm-hmm. to the two good quote-unquote dragons in the movie. Yeah. Which... Yeah, which we get to see never, right now. Puppy's mother arrives with Athena, Tom and Jerry riding on to riding on her back. She then tackles Drizelda to the ground, and out of forty episodes of Fiery Discourse, the only podcast on the internet dedicated to dragonesses, female dinosaurs, and other similar stories and scalies, this is the first ever episode with two dragonesses actually fighting each other. If we don't count like Jurassic Park, which is a mm-hmm. I, I guess you could count that, but this is the first time I think we actually get to see a dragoness on dragoness fight. And mm-hmm. it's a pretty good one. Uh, it mostly consists of grappling, but you do get the idea how uh, how basically the two of them uh, uh, fight with each other on that. Uh, Puffy's mother, of course, is extremely upset after she finds out that her you know child is now a statue, and Zelda goes so far as to basically taunt her, which... Again, really Not uh, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we then, even with this sequence, with them grappling and basically wrestling on top of each other, we get some pretty good slapstick. Drizelda squishes uh, Jerry into an accordion. Tom laughs before Puffy's mother does the exact same. Which, again, that's creative way of doing slapstick and incorporating it into the movie. It's not like before where you have like a, a big musical number and you have slapstick, you know, thrown in there. This feels more natural and intricate to the story in that. Puffy's mother then basically breeds fire at Drizelda, which is, of course, exactly what Drizelda wanted, as she gets even more powerful and she turns Puffy's mother into stone. And she plans on basically attacking the village, but Athena mm-hmm. tries to stand up to her. She hits Drizelda with the wizard staff. And we get to see all of Athena's animals. It actually pay- has a payoff as they attack Drizelda. Tom and Jerry are uh, launched into the air. They actually rip the amulet off off of her, and she swoops down to try to attack them. Which, again, it's a way that you actually got Tom and Jerry in the climax, and you had them do something. Which, again, yeah. I, I have to appreciate that they actually had them do something. They're not just standing on the sideline, like, you know, not mm-hmm. to keep comparing it, but it's not like the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one where they're pretty much just there. They, they don't do anything really of note. They're just <coughs> there. But, yeah. You can uh, tell, though, that uh, they were really <coughs> stretching for that 50-minute runtime because uh, there is when they get the necklace, there's a segment that goes on way too long of Tom and Jerry falling. It goes on for like a solid minute. Oh, oh yes, yes. That that is something that definitely, uh, it definitely does feel like padding in a way. And again, for a fifty-minute movie, there are ways that you probably could have filled that time, like the part mm-hmm. with the brambles. There's ways that you could have filled that time while actually have it be about something instead of just you know, oh, we got to get to the fifty-minute mark so we can all go out for for margaritas and that, you know. But it turns out that Drizelda misses them. They land safely in a tent, and Athena uses a mallet to smash the amulet once and for all. And the amulet ends up turning Drizelda into stone, and it brings Puffy and Puffy's mother back tonight, back to life. Back to night, excuse me. Back to life, yeah. But Puffy and their mother are reunited in a pretty cute little sequence, and they fly off back to their home with... The animation on that being surprisingly fluid compared to some of the rest of the movie. 
We then uh, get to see Athena and her animals being welcomed into the village by everyone, including the female elf with the hat. So apparently, now she finally got what everything she wanted. The movie ends with Athena reprising her song, which again, to me, just felt like television static. And mm. Tom puts his hand on the crocodile and it chases him off to the sunset. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. And we do actually get an after credits movie. That's another thing this episode has in common with the last one. We actually get an after credits sequence. A bird lands on the statue of Drizelda, but she basically wards it off by breathing smoke from her nostrils. So she's still alive. I guess it's like at the ending of a Danger Diabolic, when Diabolic is encased in a gold statue, but he's still somehow able to see and, and breathe in that. Dang. But, but yeah, after this, they would make several more Tom and Jerry direct-to-video movies, and the most recent one came out last year. Apparently, it's a Tom and Jerry in Snowman's Land. It came out December 222. It actually, they actually did one before that, Tom and Jerry uh, Cowboys or something, that also came out 222. And, of course, they had the uh, Tom and Jerry live-action hybrid movie that was a thing. It oh, yeah. It, was it existed. Right. Uh, it, it existed. It was a movie. It yeah, it was a movie. Pi- it opened with three pigeons singing Can I Kick It? So, and, yeah, oh, yeah, yes. That was honestly the we begin. lower point of the movie for me, yeah, personally. Yeah. But I heard yeah. when it was Tom and Jerry, it was actually good. Other than that, it's just generic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's just generic. But yeah, this they are probably it's gonna be like Scooby Doo, I think, with these Tom and Jerry directed video movies, because as long as the franchise is still profitable, as long as they can keep on selling these copies of DVDs in stores and putting them on streaming services and playing them on TV to get like the syndication rights, they are gonna keep making these movies for a very long time. Indeed. But unlike the unlike the direct video Scooby Doo movies, which we will get to eventually on this podcast, yep. the, uh, the Tom and Jerry movies, it definitely is all over the place quality wise. Like you can ask something Indeed. like, you know, it definitely uh it fluctuates basically. And I think what it is is because Tom and Jerry are characters that they try to stick them in all kinds of different scenarios. Like in this one, it's in the Middle Ages. In another one, they're pirates. In another one, they're in the Old West. And it really just feels like they have no idea what to do with them. They, they are, are gra- just shoehorned into a lot yeah, of movies. Yeah, they are grasping at straws at this point, I think, to try and make these characters profitable. And granted, mm. uh, granted, you understand why they're trying to do this, to keep the characters relevant, because... Otherwise, it would probably fade out of relevancy, which is what happened to guys like Woody Woodpecker and that. But in another way, it just feels, I don't know, a little hollow in a way. I'm not saying these movies are bad. Far from it. This was an enjoyable mm. movie. I liked it. It was fun. It had some, a lot of good moments. Griselda herself was great. But as a whole, this movie, it feels very corporate. It feels very much like oh, we got to get our Tom and Jerry movie quota out for this year for, for the financial quarter. Go, go, go. Even though, you know, it does have good moments. And again, it is a good movie in its own right. The intentions behind it are just a little bit cynical for me. Maybe that's just mm. how I read it, but that, that's, that's how I get it. But yeah, anyway, uh, we're going to get to the uh, question of the week this, uh, this week, which is uh, Tom and Jerry memories or similar cartoon memories. Now, as a kid, 
I never really liked Tom and Jerry. I just, it, they never appealed to me. I, I watched some of the older ones like on Cartoon Network and that, but I don't know. I feel like as a whole, their cartoons, and granted, they're classic. Don't get me wrong. They, they really, really are funny when they're funny, but I feel like the problem with them is that they were very limited in what they could do sometimes. Mm. Compared to, mm-hmm. like, uh, for example, again, I grew up with, like, you know, the the Disney shorts and, like, Fleischer and that on, like, you know, VHS and that. So Tom and Jerry were, let's say this way, it, they, Tom and Jerry, uh, they did not produce anything on the same level as, like, Popeye meets Sinbad the Sailor, unfortunately. Uh. And I just feel like, again, I, I, I like their cartoons. They're really funny. And, again... I, I remember watching them and laughing along to them, but I never really was a fan of them. As whereas I was like a fan of like you know of like Disney or like Popeye or like you know the old uh, weird old Fleischer shorts like Bimbo's Initiation and that, you know. And, it, and again, maybe it's just me. They just felt a little too sedate compared to uh, what's going mm. what what the uh, later ones were, of course. And I'm not saying again that they're unlikable. I really enjoyed them a lot. It's just that I guess for me. Uh, I, and again, I don't have bad memories of them and I remember enjoying them and I have good memories, but they didn't really stick out. It felt like, you know, from one episode to another, it didn't really matter in a way, which again, that is my opinion, but that's kind of how I looked at it. So, uh, and what would you have to say? Okay. Hmm. Like Hanna-Barbera as a whole was one of those things I honestly accepted i didn't i didn't 100% fanboy over them i didn't absolutely hate them for that matter but i can't say with confidence that i ever really you know liked them yeah they 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 had their fun moments there were some moments i absolutely loved oh, no, uh, no, some of the scooby doo movies were amazing some definitely, of them had definitely. heart put into them yeah. oh, there some were a few tom Jerry movies like Flintstones and jetsons they they were good too yeah wally gator all that yeah, stuff yeah. help adult swim for a time took yeah, inspiration yeah. from hanna barbera exactly and exactly fun fact right. uh yeah Freaking Charlotte's Web was made by Hanna Barbera. A great movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing mm-hmm. is, that actually reminds me about Hanna Barbera. I don't mean to interrupt, but it feels like with me with Hanna Barbera, and again, I guess we'll get to that more when we do the actual episode on them. But I feel like what was Hanna Barbera's downfall? They were definitely a studio that was quantity over quality. It's like when you spend pretty much the entire seventies basically making Scooby-Doo knockoffs to increasingly diminish returns, you you, you got to slow down production, you know? Indeed. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And, yeah, Tom and Jerry in particular is, is, is a good time. I'll put it that way. It's, uh... It's not exactly on the level of something like, say, Cartoon Network, which... Let's be fair. A lot of Hanna Barbera properties uh, were oh, were mostly on Cartoon. From, yeah, like, like Dexter's Lab was their first original one, and you can definitely see a lot of Hanna Barbera influence in that as well. Yeah, and Powerpuff Girls Powerpuff too. Girls. Powerpuff Girls was made by Hanna Barbera, wasn't it? Absolutely. Last thing they, I believe, if memory serves, that was the last thing they ever did. So if they went out, they went out on top. They they, they did. went out with a they they went out on a really high note. So, you yes, know, got to applaud them for that. But, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. And, again, with Cartoon Network, for me as a kid, it was the same exact thing. 
Cartoon Network over here. They played a mixture of the Hanna-Barbera stuff and the Cartoon Network originals. And I, I liked Flintstones. I liked Dick Dastardly. I liked uh, Jetsons. I liked Scooby-Doo. Scooby was classic. But uh, aside from those ones, I mostly preferred the... And, you know, Pink Panther, but that's not Hanna-Barbera. But uh, I mostly there. preferred the... Uh, the Cartoon Network original stuff, like again, like Dexter, like Powerpuff Girls, like yeah. Nettie, stuff Cartoon like that, Network like and, Courage. Like, Cartoon felt, like, Network around that time was prime. Let's yeah, be yeah. fair. They, they had a lot more freedom, I felt. Whereas in like, again, Hanna-Barbera in like the 1970s and 80s, they were just like, again, grasping at straws and floundering. Yeah. I mean... Yep. For the most part, the Hanna-Barbera around, like, the early 60s and whatnot wasn't exactly, you know, prime, but it wasn't terrible. Well, that and, gave us um, Flintstones yeah, and Jetsons, which yeah, are probably exactly. two of their best shows, of course. Yeah. <sighs> as for... As for a strong Tom and Jerry mo- moments, I will honestly have to say that out of all of the movies, shows, and whatnot that they ultimately did that I can ultimately remember strongly, I would honestly have to turn to either uh, Tom and Jerry Raceway or Tom and Jerry uh, Shiver Me Whiskers as the chief, you know, movie that ultimately sticks with me to this day. Because, yeah, it's pretty bare bones, but honestly... It's the movie I remember watching a lot when I was young, and it stuck with me. And again, we had a box set of the classic cartoons of Tom and Jerry and whatnot, like the stuff from the 40s and whatnot. I also, and yeah, I, I we still have that to this day up in uh, New York. Uh, we have the uh, little picture thing with uh, Jerry drawing himself off with Tom's tail, which, <laughs> good times. But yeah, that is ultimately what I remember the most about it. All right, that's great. Um, Striker, what would you have to say? I actually did grow up with uh, with Anna Barbera cartoons. Actually, I mainly remember watching Scooby Doo. Actually, nice. Uh, and I remember being scared of. Uh, of a zombie island, but later real uh, uh, admiring the series, uh, admiring the movie, obviously, um, and uh, like later even getting to watch uh, other other uh, Hanna Barbera shows, but like mm. not just um, Scooby Doo. I remember yeah. watching. Powerpuff Girls when I was a kid. Oh hell yeah! Because yeah. like, because like it was a show my sister would enjoy watching because like, uh, it's about uh girls, so it's obviously a girl show. Had the same thing. Yep, yeah. Yep, same thing. Yep. I uh yeah, actually didn't care. Right? Actually didn't care because like it was a it was a superhero show. So like, because it was obviously a also a show for boys so i i had i made the excuse to watch it with her <laughs> um but yeah like uh i remember also watching shows like i barely remember watching the jetsons but i later watched uh the flintstones as well um 
And yep. I remember watching some videos online, finding out that originally the Flintstones was supposed to be for adults. <laughs> oh, it was. It was a... Well, again, we'll talk about more about that when we do an episode on them, which is going to be down the line. But yeah, yeah, Flintstones was directly based on the old sitcom The Honeymooners to the extent where they actually got writers from The Honeymooners and Jackie Gleason, who played, of course, Ralph Cramden, he threatened to sue Hanna-Barbera because he felt it was so close to The Honeymooners that he had a pretty good case for a lawsuit. He would have probably won, too, but the reason he dropped it is because his agent told him that killing off such a popular show like Flintstones would have been bad for his image, but... Yeah, no, they definitely mm. took inspiration from it. At least at first. They kind of got their own identity later on. Oh, yeah. But the early episodes yeah. definitely were, you could adapt them to the Cramdens and nothing would change that. Not yeah. only that, but, like, I remember... Certainly not uh, the worst thing Warner Bros. would go... Uh, what Flintstones would go through. No. Exactly. Oh, oh yeah. No. Uh, oh. Not only that, but I also remember... Uh, Back in like when around the time they had premiered, there were some sponsored uh, advertisements with them where they uh, where they advertised cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, because it was an adult yeah. show. People, you know, yep. back then TV shows did that. You know, cigarettes were banned on TV. They also for a had while. their. Oh, sorry. So, yeah, not to mention they also had their own brand of. Ugh. Plant eyes, if you will, which huh. that didn't age well. Yeah, I can part. definitely see that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they also did a uh, Cocoa Pebbles commercial that co- sort of both leaned into the Karate Kid phase and also like sort of did that thing again. Not yeah. really, but eh. <laughs> yep, I can see it. So, yeah. Uh, Math, what would you have to say? Are any of uh, your memories? I grew up with Tom and Jerry. That was a lot of my childhood, and I love a lot of what they did. Yeah, I remember Tom and Jerry Kids because the nineties hey. had everything be a kids version of their show. How was it? Um, again, I said, "Go ahead, guys." I said, "Uh, yeah." Tom and Jerry Kids was a fun thing for what it was. Uh. Obviously, the classic cartoons are great. I still quote a lot of the gags to this day. Nice. I don't know why this one sticks with me so much. I I will always laugh at the "Don't you believe oh, it?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. That that is a classic. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, I even find some good in the '93 Tom and Jerry movie. Oh uh, yeah. Mostly dealing with Tony Jay. Because that's cheating. Yeah. I you also, have Tony J. You're cheating. You've automatically got something good going. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, Speaking that of movie Hammer did Band. give us the uh, we've got to have money meme. Yeah, so nothing exactly else the game Wario, is Wario's <laughs> official tagline to this day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it did give us that. Yeah. Speaking of Hanna-Barbera, honestly, uh, yeah, I've absolutely accepted... Like I said, I've accepted Hanna-Barbera, but I've also sort of admired Hanna-Barbera a little bit. Like, the styles, the overall, like, impact that it's had on media. Like, to this day, there are no doubt a lot of things that are referenced from Hanna-Barbera. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if they... Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if they still draw inspiration from that to this day, for the most part. 
I wouldn't I either. I wouldn't either. But yeah, yeah. what I and I always adults, thought. That, sorry. So yeah, go ahead. And I mean, again, Adult Swim used to draw inspiration from that. It's why we got stuff like the Venture Bros and Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law for crying out loud. Exactly. Exactly right. And also that I always felt like what Hanna Barbera lacked in a uh, animation, they made up for in character design. They because, did, you know, as well yeah. as like character in general. Exactly. As I, I always felt like, you know, what they lacked for in technicality, they made up for with how, you know, iconic their characters were, you know. But Especially yeah. Especially like with uh, some of my favorite characters, like from Scooby Doo. Exactly. So, uh, yep. Uh, Jordan, what would you have to say? Are any of your uh, favorite uh, memories with the characters that. I grew up with the classic Looney Tunes and. Uh... Hannibal cartoons like when I saw when I see how the new Tom and Jerry like this one is a little more different I can see why they didn't add so much <laughs> excuse me comedy to it like if Tom would have dropped an anvil on Jerry it would have backfired and dropped on him instead of the other way, other way around but I grew up with the, with the violent cartoons a little bit like the, again Looney Tunes style but I like how we get up and all these dragons involved uh but i grew again i grew up with the classic violent cartoons this time of age there's not a lot of violent cartoons which i, I can see why because people are trying to teach their kids like oh you can't literally say or do these things to nowadays back then you can get away with it it's funny to watch <laughs> but yeah, exactly. i remember an episode of tom and jerry as where Jerry, uh, Tom is trying to get a, a pretty kitty girl uh, to go on a date with him, but she is guarded by this bulldog, and he sings this catchy tune. I can't remember what it was, but he has this guitar he's playing. Is you is or is you ain't my baby? That <laughs> one, yes. Nice. And nice, I'm nice. just like, oh my god, this whole classic Tom is being chased by this dog who's chained up. And he's like, yeah. you can't hit me because I'm safe and you're not. Man, I think of that moment and think of uh, that one Looney Tunes where uh, there's this one big bulldog and there's this cute little kitten that he looks after that mm-hmm. he has a thing, which would... Probably more or less uh, either partially be an inspiration or be a very interesting coincidence that it would that later we would get something like Pixie and Brutus, which is pretty much the same thing, more or less. But that's Uh, what I think. I I kind of wish that nowadays that cartoons are just now disappearing. Like Cartoon Network is gone. But we all whoever grew up in the the 80s or 90s knows like all these awesome characters. Tom and Jerry are still a thing. Um, I mean, Cartoon Network's still there, more or less. In a way, it's still there, but they're just, like, making cartoons just not what it used to be. They're making it, like, super, super friendly, and I'm like, where's the comedy? Where's the part of you making a hole and someone just fells right through it, or you see a character... Uh, just like, oh wait, I'm being a jackass. Where's my right Jamaican now. fucking Grim Reaper? Damn it! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's just like nowadays that cartoons are just not what they used to be. It's just like sad and pathetic. Like we had three different generations of Looney Tunes. It went from okay, oh my god, you're funny, to another point like, what 
is this garbage for adults and you let little kids see. I'm like, what are you people thinking? Kids are going to turn on TV and they're going to see some jokes and they are not going to be like, Mom, what's this joke mean? They know what it means. I'm like, where's the point in watching cartoons? You can just pull up on a TV, uh, DVD of an old classic episode of whatever and just remember the good old days. Like Woody Woodpecker. Holy crap, that little guy can pull off some stunts, like crazy pranks or whatever, and you, he survives. Yeah. Cartoons are just like, oh, yeah. now let's just make it more friendly. I'm like, I'm done watching cartoons. You guys are not even bringing the good stuff anymore. I can I can see but, it. Yeah, I, I can definitely. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. At least with a lot of that. Yeah. So, um, Lucky Evie, what would you have to say? I used to watch Tom and Jay when it was, you know, looping on Boomerang. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I remember I remember Boomerang. And yeah. Watched a lot. Yeah, of they had that here too. I like how uh, I like how someone made a little. Uh, Edit with like the whole Pikmin uh, wind up toys and oh that did, was like, hilarious oh yeah, yeah. Awesome. reference those bumpers with the Pikmin wind up toys that that yeah. was hilarious yeah whenever they do stuff like that that's cute yeah but, yep and now it is time for the uh, patent pending Dragonus scale and this week we actually technically have two Dragonuses to rank instead of one so that's going to be very interesting both uh, Puffy's mother and Griselda. As for Puffy's, okay, I'll start with uh, Puffy's mother. Her, I'm gonna give a, uh, I'm gonna give, I've been giving a lot of them lately, but she's gonna get a seven out of ten. And the reason I'm doing that is because uh, she has a good design. She has a good, you know, a sleek, you know, dragoness type design. That I like what they did with the facial expressions. I like what they did with the, uh, with some of the aspects of her and that. But I just feel like she. She could have had a little bit more screen time, but the fact that we actually do get to see her so enraged to see engages in a fight with another dragoness is something really cool. And her being part of the first ever uh, all-out dragoness fight on the podcast, I definitely have to give her a lot of points for that. Now, as for Drizelda, she's getting a high score. I'm giving her. Uh, I might give her actually. Uh, I, I'm not sure if she gets a ten out of ten. If she had just. I don't know. If the transformation was a little bit longer, but again, that's just me quibbling, mm-hmm. being personable. Uh, I think I really might end up going with a 9 out of 10 because she is clearly the best part of this movie. She is clearly, you know, what the animes put the most amount of care and detail into. The fact that they did stuff like actually remember that, you know, she has multicolored hair, so give her multicolored horns is genius. Uh, she really is just so powerful and haughty in her dragonist form, and it really does work out. I mean, she really is perfection. The only reason I, I, I'm just very, it's so hard. I am so on the fence between just giving her a perfect score and being done with it, because again, she's a lot like Ludmilla, and Ludmilla got a perfect score. But I don't know. There's just. Maybe it's just me personally, personally, with the uh, dragoness, with the actual transformation. If it, you actually got to see a little more of it rather than it just happening at the end of the song. But that is such a minor nitpick detail that I really shouldn't have let it affect my score. In fact, I'm going to go back. I'm going to change my score. Drizelda gets a 10 because, again, mm. she's like Ludmilla and Ludmilla was the best. So therefore, someone who is intentionally or unintentionally based on Ludmilla will also get that score. Angron, yeah. 
Sorry about that uh, roundabout way of doing things. Oh, good. I think I might go a little less and give her a, an 8 or 9 out of 10. I, I'm okay. I'm leaning towards 8, but I might stick with 9. Uh, mainly because, yeah, as a villain, she's very effective. Like, she, for the most part, nearly gets what she wants. She ultimately does a good job of it. Like, I mean, minion incompetent minions aside she ultimately like she ultimately like has stuff like for the most part planned out she's not exactly sane but honestly you didn't let miller wasn't sane either for the most part they they were both calculating but they both had a sort of sort of succubus side if you will to them that ultimately made them you know them and the but and yeah, I, I will admit here, uh, Drizelda is a lot more risque for the most part compared to Ledmilla. And, and yeah, uh, and yeah, I she's not 100% perfect. There's a lot of things holding her back. But yeah, the touches that she gets as both a dragon and as a villain definitely give her that. As for the mama dragon, I'm yeah. going to give her an uh, 8 out of 10 because Ooh, even though she's not because yeah even though she's she doesn't have too much going on the fact that like she actually goes to quite the length to try and helps to try and uh, get back her kid and help the others stop a common enemy as it were Definitely means that, uh, definitely proves that she uh, ultimately gives more than she ultimately shows. That and I, that and I ultimately feel a little sorry for her that she and her kid ultimately got the stone treatment uh, from in this movie, which, ouch, but dang, did it really make it effective. So yeah, for uh, Drizelda, 9 out of 10, Mama Dragon, 8 out of 10. All right, all good reasons. Uh, Striker? Um, I'm actually going to give uh, Griselda an 8 out of 10 because I really liked her personality, to be honest. Um, and, of course, uh, the Mama Dragon gets, uh, uh, gets a slightly lower 7 out of 10 just because like, I feel she could have had more screen time. More, more uh, dedicated to her character, obviously. You know. No, I get you. I get you. It, yeah. I, I kind of felt like the exact same way that I feel like there's ways you could have incorporated her into the story just a little bit more. Doesn't stand. She's still a pretty good one. Uh, math. Uh, puppy's mom gets a seven. Like her design, uh, the personality that you get from her is actually uh, pretty impressive, considering that she is just feral dragon uh, the issue largely comes down to the fact that she had three minutes of screen time for the they most just part don't do anything with her they have her as a background like just a piece of background and then when she actually does start doing something up oh, statue i can see that Griselda. Uh, and, uh, and then uh Griselda is an eight i I did like uh, the dragon design. I wasn't too on board with the uh, elf design. It, it wasn't bad, just kind of whatever, generic, more than anything else. The, uh, sorry. the personality I liked that she was... She did remind me uh, a bit of Madame Mim 
in just how chaotic and wild she was. Oh, my right. main my main issue personality wise is that uh she was quite literally the writer's not even disguised fetish. Not yes. even <laughs> the author's barely disguised fetish. Nice, nice. That, that is her entire personality. She is just fetish fuel. I'm sorry. It's it's funny for the first few minutes, but it, it just give her something else. Uh when when she's when she goes full dragon and she is being domineering, that was a nice change from her just being, oh, hey, look, sex appeal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I, I definitely, definitely can see that. <laughs> oh, Indeed. wow. So, uh, Jordan, what would you have to say? Uh, I'm giving the baby puff 10 because it's so flipping cute. Like, you want a plushie of this cute little thing. Uh, it's Mother 7, and I agree that uh, the villain should have a better, longer dragon transformation, such as the end. I also give her a 7. All right, it's all good. And uh, Lucky Evie, what would you have to say? Uh, looking at both of them, I, I'd give them, a, I'd give them like both the same score of like 8 out of 10. Nice, nice. Mm, All right. interesting. So yeah, this week we actually got to rank two Dragonesses, which is a lot of fun. And yeah, that's going to be it for this week. If you have any questions or you want to suggest what other Warner Brother properties Tom and Jerry should cross over with, you can mm. feel free to email us at furrydiscourse at outlook.com or visit us on Twitter at twitter.com slash furrydiscourse. <laughs> Next time we'll be looking at the 1995 Bamboo Bears episode, Bamboo Bears. This is probably the most obscure thing we have ever covered on the podcast as to date. It'll be definitely interesting trying to just look up information about this thing and see what we can find about it and watch it. And yeah, until then, thank you guys so much for listening and take care. Laters. Bye-bye. Later. Adios. Peace out.